Well, this morning I want to kind of shift. We've been talking about the coming of Christ and uh, and all that that means to us as Christians. But I want to, as we're just a week away now from uh, starting a new year, I want to kind of shift to thinking about not only this year, but the year that's in front of us. All of us at some point... Uh, face in our journey a struggle or struggles which appear to us to be absolutely insurmountable. And as we look to a new new year, a lot of us face personal needs. Some may have serious problems about a relationship, concern about what's the economy going to do? What are my investments going to do? Are they going to continue to grow a little bit? And one of the things that I've found uh, as I walk with Christ in my experience is that as I begin to focus on struggles and problems and issues that I'm dealing with that, that are coming up, what happens is the problems kind of go like this. They kind of go, whoop, whoop, bigger. And guess what happens to my focus on God? It's kind of like it goes small. And I believe when that happens, I've learned that my problem is that my God is too small. He gets smaller, he shrinks. And you know what? When we're facing these kind of things... When we're hurting, we need hope. And hope comes as we understand the person of God and who He is. Hurting people, struggling people, need to understand God's character, who He is. Because you see, if we're just looking at the mountain that is what is in front of us, for next year, if we keep just staring at that mountain and the obstacle that blocks our way, I can guarantee you what will happen to you happen to me is you become paralyzed in your faith. You're just overwhelmed. And if you want to be a person who copes with those struggles who wants to move those mountains of obstacles that are in front of us, you must understand that faith comes from looking at God, not the mountain. And so my goal this morning is to help you and to help me to get a bigger perspective on who God is by looking at a Psalm of David, Psalm 139. I love the Psalms. There's probably a place, there's three or four passages in the New Testament that I always end up in, Romans 8, John 15. But I love, I, I always go back to the Psalms because it talks about the spiritual journey and, and the struggles in that journey. So I can relate to it. And the Psalm we're looking at this morning, Psalm 139, is a Psalm that David wrote. If you didn't know, David wrote almost half of the Psalms. 
72 of the Psalms are credited to David. And in this particular Psalm, the theme is the wonder of God. As he gets a glimpse of who God is, his person and his character, it helps him get the right perspective. And what's neat about this psalm is it's a little it's a little long. We're not going to kind of go into it in detail, but it breaks down the 24 verses breaks down very neatly into four sections of four uh, four sections of six verses. So we are going to read verses one to six first, and here David t- talks to us about the fact. That his God knows him. He knows everything about him. He knows him thoroughly. So follow along as I read. I believe we have it up on the screen as well. Psalm 139. For the director of music of David, a psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out. And my lying down, you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. The first attribute or the characteristic of God that David talks to us about is what we call omniscience. We're going to get a little theology lesson in what we call theology proper, which is the study of the person of God and his attributes. And it's a big word, omniscience, but it simply means that God knows everything. He knows everything. Think about that. He is not limited in any way because he knows everything. And as David begins to talk about that, he gets real personal and up close. Because five times in this section, he mentions the word no. Did you see that? Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Verse 4, before word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. He goes on to talk about such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Personal and up-close knowledge. What's interesting is he talks about, oh Lord, you have searched me. That Hebrew word for searched is used elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe a miner digging through the earth. And, and the picture is one of God digging in to the inner recesses of David's person, to the very core of his being. And there, Everything is exposed to view. There is nothing about David. There is nothing about you and I that God does not already know. 
We're an open book before God. He knows what makes us tick. He knows us in the private moments. Did you notice that? When I sit and when I rise. He knows us in our public moments. You discern my going out. He knows everything about us. Think about that. It's a rather chilling thought to realize how well we are known. And David goes on to say that God knows what we say before we say it, and He also knows what we need. So as he talks about this, it's as if David responds to this uh, idea that God knows him thoroughly. Notice what, he's, what he says in verse 6. And here comes the wonder. It's kind of like he talks about this and then it's like he goes into a worship mode. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too lofty for me to attain. We see the wonder of God's knowledge of David enough. And when David tried to understand the greatness of God's knowledge, he found himself overwhelmed. And you know what? Wonder and worship are proper responses to the glorious attributes of God. This is what Dr. G. Campbell Morgan, a great Bible teacher, years ago, he said this, when all my attempts, when all my attempts at understanding God fail, I worship. When all my attempts at understanding God fail, I worship. God knows me and He knows you. And guess what? We cannot escape that knowledge. So God knows us. Omniscience. He knows everything. And it's almost as if David, as he ponders that, he begins to think about the fact, if I wanted to escape from the presence of this all-knowing God, where would I have to go? And, and so he moves to this second section of the psalm, verses 7 to 12, where we understand, <coughs> excuse me, God is with us no matter what the location or the circumstance. And, and this little portion is, is going to teach us about, here's the big word, God's omnipresence. But it talks about that His presence everywhere, that God is present everywhere at all times. Well, let's read it together. This is what David says. Remember, it's kind of he's like, it's kind of hypothetical. Where can I go? How can I escape? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. 
The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So, not only is God with us wherever we go, but He is also with us no matter what we experience. And, and, and David makes the point, you can't escape from God. You go north, south, east, west, you're not going to get away from God. But isn't it funny and interesting how so many people try to run from God? Even believers try to run from God. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. Jonah tried to do it, and uh, he got a free ticket. It's a lot harder than you think. You know, I remember playing as a kid with my sister, and one of the things, this is really funny as a kid, because you think, I'm going to hide from my mom and dad. I'm going to hide so mom can't see me. And, of course, she knows every square inch of the house, and, and moms have radar that detect exactly where the kids are. But I had a favorite spot, and I used to, come on, sis, we'll go go here. And it's kind of, you go under the bed, and then there's kind of a bookcase so that you can actually sit under there, and somehow I thought, oh, I'm safe. Nobody's going to find me here. Not. You know, I think of, uh, of Franklin Graham, who uh, the Graham family has always been such, uh, such a light and an encouragement uh, to Don and I, as we've read their books and watched their lives. And, uh, and I don't know if you've ever read the book, by Franklin Graham. It's called Rebel with a Cause. It's an interesting book because he details in there uh, how though he's raised by loving, caring parents that knew the Lord, he wanted to get away from God. And, and one of the ways he did that is he went traveling all over the world. And same time, he's drinking, smoking, carousing, doing things he... He's doing this all over the world, but everywhere he goes, he runs in to a friend of his dad <laughs> and who kind of checks in with him. Literally, every country he goes to, it's kind of like, I'm going to get away from God and I run smack into God. And you know what? That whole period of Franklin traveling around the world prepared him for the job he has as the president of Samaritan's Purse, which is basically uh, medical relief and, and hot spots all over the world. And as he was running from God, God was getting him ready for the way that he would serve with his life. So not only is God with us wherever we go, but he's also with us no matter what we ex experience you and I are never forgotten. You're never ignored. God knows where you are and He knows what your life is like. East, west, north, south. God is there and He is your shepherd. He will lead you. He has gripped your life. He has taken hold of you and He will not let you go. And what's David's response? He says, I can't. I cannot get away from God. The wonder of God's presence. God's presence is inescapable because God is always present with His people 
You and I are never alone. We may think we're alone, but we're not alone. And we are never without the resources for life and ministry. If we're in the will of God, we never lack the provision of God in our lives. It has been well said that the will of God will never lead us where the grace of God cannot keep us. And it is this assurance of the presence of God that sustains us through difficult tasks and times. One of the verses that I've used so many times, and if you don't know this verse, I encourage you to learn it. It's Isaiah 41.10. It goes, Do not fear. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, because I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will uphold you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10 And so we see that David has found out that God knows him thoroughly. He's found out that God is with him. And as we come to verses 13 to 18, here David says, God, you made me. God designed and created you and me. Let's read verses 13 to 18. Incredible verses which teach God's omnipotence, His power, His power in the creation of people. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. How did David know God was with him always and knew him intimately? Well, we see here that he realized that God, God is the author of life. These are probably the strongest verses in all of Scripture for life and for the argument that life begins at conception. Because these verses make it clear that God is personally concerned with the conception, the development, and the birth of each child. As a matter of fact, God uh, is like a skilled artisan putting you and I together in our mother's womb. God was intimately involved with your embryonic development. God put you together. And when He did it, He worked in secret in the darkened chamber of the womb. That's kind of the picture that He get. But he goes on to say that he planned out your life ahead of time. He wrote the script for you and I. Before we even showed up, he wrote the script. God, 
is in control of your life and mine. And as David thinks about this, he's staggered by what God has done. And his response are, God, your works are wonderful. How could you do this intricate thing and create it? The wonder of God's power in creating me. Notice verse 14. Again, he kind of turns into kind of a praise in the midst of this. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He's in awe. God, you know me, you are with me, and now, God, you made me. As we turn to the last section of this psalm, the last six verses, our attention is turned from talking about God, per se, to talking about the trouble that David was in. Now, we don't know what that trouble was. David was a warrior, so we know that he was constantly fighting battles. Remember, he was also, for a number of years after he was anointed king by Samuel, he was running for his life, living in the caves, trying to avoid Saul, as Saul was out to kill him. We also know that his son Absalom uh, rebelled and took over uh, the kingdom, and David's life was threatened. He had to leave the, the palace and to leave Jerusalem. So we don't know exactly what the situation, but we know he's in a tough spot. And as we read this, you're going to go, man, that kind of sounds out of place. But understand that David's life is threatened at the time he wrote this psalm. Let's read in verse 19 together. He says this, If only you would slay the wicked. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. He's talking about people who oppose God. Who hate God. He goes on to say that do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Now, I know people, Christians, who read this and go, ah, you know, I don't know what to do with that. That doesn't sound like what we have in the New Testament. But you know what? This is talking about something that is in the New Testament the holiness of God, and the wonder of the fact that God will judge people. And David understands that. And David completely identifies himself with God by saying, I'm on your team, God. I've laid it on the line for you. And David was a man who was totally immersed, totally involved with God. And so as he prays here, David was asking God to do the work of judgment that only he could do. You see, God's the only one who can judge. Not you and I. 
But you know what? This section really speaks to me that we should be upset about the things that upset the heart of God. We should be upset about them. And this section teaches God's holiness, His judgment, and His desire to transform my life to be more like Him. And and so what is our response? Well, notice verse 23 and 24, which is really a prayer that he closes the psalm with. And uh, it's a great prayer, by the way. And I don't know about you, but one of the things I've learned is to use Scripture as I pray to God, as I spend time in the Word, and as I visit with Him. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've thought of this, these verses. This is what David says as he's in this tough spot. He's asking God to do something. Verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He's saying, confess and honestly agree with God about those things in our life that need to change and to surrender to Him So He can change you by His Spirit and through His Word for His glory. You see, David ends the psalm with an invitation. And the invitation is for you and I, to we are invited in to a totally transparent relationship with God. And you know, like I said before, depending on where you're at, that could be real exciting or it could be real scary. But it's those other attributes that we looked at this morning that He knows us, that He's with us, that He made us, that should help us to know that that invitation is a personal one. And now David asked God to search his life for sin and to point out even to the level of testing. God, test my thoughts. This is really exploratory surgery for sin. And how are we going to recognize it unless God points it out? And then when God shows us, we can repent and be forgiven. Make these verses your prayer. Ask the Lord to search your heart and thoughts to reveal your sins. So, we've learned this morning that God knows us, that God's with us, no matter where the location, no matter what the circumstances, and we've learned that He's very powerful because He created us, these intricate bodies. He made all the details. And my response is to surrender and to yield my life to Him so He can check my heart for sinful attitudes, motivations, and thought. But here's the kicker, folks. He knows me and you completely. And He loves us. That's the miracle. He knows us. He knows everything about us. 
And yet He loves us with an everlasting love through His Son, Jesus Christ, which is what we just celebrated, that God had to bring His Son into the world to accomplish our redemption. That's a miracle. He knows us, but He accepts us, and He loves us. I'm going to ask right now if the ushers would come forward and uh, to take the offering. We're going to conclude with a prayer. And I want you to leave your Bibles open as we pray because I'm going to lead us in prayer. But I'm going to get... I would like, towards the end of the prayer, I'm going to tell you to pray the prayer that David prayed. I'm going to ask that you would quote with me those last two verses, verses 23 and 24. And I pray that that would be a prayer for you in this new year. So let's bow and pray, and then I'll ask you to pray with me, leaving your Bible open as we quote verse 23 and 24. Father, thank you that when we get a good look at who you are and what you have done for us, it changes the way we look at ourselves and everyone around us. It changes the way we look at our circumstances and our problems. We acknowledge this morning that you are an incredible God who we cannot begin to understand or wrap our minds and our hearts around. We are thankful that you are sufficient, you are faithful, and that you are sovereign. We are in awe that you know us. We are in awe that you are with us. We are in awe that you create us created us, and more than anything, that you loved us with an everlasting love through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that there are no places you will lead us that you will not be right there with us. We pray the prayer that David prayed. And let's pray that together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, we pray as we enter into the new year that that indeed, that David's prayer would be our prayer. We pray now that you would receive these gifts and use them for the work of establishing the gospel in Tomball and Magnolia in our communities, and around the world. We pray in the strong and powerful name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.